0: You're about to hear my conversation with our CIO, Leslie Marks. We talked all about Netflix, what their earnings miss means for markets more broadly, how the COVID-19 lockdowns in China will impact the rest of the world. We also talked about commodities and the prospects of another recession. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnurr and I'm delighted to be here with Leslie Marks. Leslie is the CIO of equities at McKinsey. She oversees 12 Uh, investment boutiques and the trading team. Leslie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me as your guest, Matt.
0: Um, I thought I would start today's conversation by talking about Netflix. Very rarely do we talk about individual companies on, uh, on this podcast, but I think Netflix and the earnings myths that it suffered uh, recently, declining viewership uh, warrants special attention, maybe more broadly than just uh, to the company itself. Uh, I'd love to get your take on on the earnings miss and what it might mean for the overall economic environment.
1: Well, it's a, it's a great place to start, and maybe a little bit unexpected because I you, you know I'm not really here to talk about individual stocks, but of course. I, I think you. I, I think you you had the right insight there, which is what kind of signals can we get from um, the latest earnings release from Netflix and what, what does that mean uh, for the rest of the market? Um, and of course, focusing on earnings season seems a little bit short-sighted when sure. we encourage people to think about more or to think more long-term when they're looking at their investments. But it is important to look at companies Um, when they report that are very high profile, like Netflix, to see if there are patterns or data points that we can extrapolate. And I think the first thing that we're looking for from a company like Netflix is, are we seeing a shift in demand away from companies that were COVID beneficiaries? Netflix being one example of, of those. And I think what Netflix told us in their earnings report, where subscribers actually fell for the first time, is that this idea of demand being pulled forward um, because of COVID is not actually fake news. This is real, Uh, behaviors are changing, and we're reverting back to uh, pre-pandemic behaviors. So we need to be very careful with those companies or industries that benefited from the lockdowns and work from home. And even if they're not seeing a shift in demand in their latest earnings report, it's most likely that that shift is is coming. So l- let me ask you, like, have your behaviors changed in the last few months as we've gone through this re-emergence or reopening, return to the office?
0: Sure. I mean, I, I suppose I haven't uh, canceled any of my streaming services, but I've probably used them less as I'm going back out to uh, restaurants and that type of thing for evening activities. Uh, so maybe I ought to cancel. I, I hadn't considered. I know. That, I was but, just thinking yeah. the
1: same thing. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I like you have started to spend, you know, less time at home, and sure. of course the weather's getting better too. Sure. But um, and here I have all these subscriptions, and you can only watch one thing at a time, even if you're watching something. Right. And I think this is this is what the average person is is going through as well. Is is this where I really want to spend my money? It's a monthly obligation. It's kind of like a gym membership, right? Sure. So. You know, we've seen um, only about 20% of S&P 500 companies report, and most of them are actually reporting pretty good numbers. But as I said, there are certain signals that we're seeing um, in companies like Netflix that I think we have to be really mindful of uh, when we're thinking about the outlook for markets here in Canada. The uh, S&P TSX companies are just really starting their reporting season, um, so we're going to see in the next few weeks. Uh, earnings from our companies in Canada. And I suspect that they'll be quite strong, um, especially in the commodity sectors, which are benefiting from rising prices, which can help offset the higher costs. But I think the second thing to watch for in the upcoming reporting season is this talk around higher costs and the impact of cost inflation. Companies that lack pricing power Um, will be very challenged to pass along higher costs. So we want to watch and see the signals that we're hearing from CEOs and CFOs around profitability and their outlook for uh, profitability for the rest of the year. As people are starting to accept that there is more sustainability around the current inflation uh, trends. And I guess the third thing that we'll be watching for, and it was a little bit highlighted in the Netflix uh, report, is any hint to slowing demand due to fears of an economic slowdown or right. the impact of higher interest rates. So, For example, uh, last week, BMW said that demand for cars decreased by 6% in the first quarter because of what they described as uh, the current geopolitical situation in Russia and Ukraine. and COVID lockdowns in China. So, you know, with so many headwinds for risk assets like equities and credit, earnings season could prove a positive offset if we see good data coming from the majority of companies. Um, But of course, that remains to be seen. And Netflix was an example of a company that didn't give us the support for markets that we're looking for.
0: Right. So to sort of... um Summarize what you just went through. Netflix appears like they've pulled forward their earnings, sort of that COVID story that we heard. Uh, seems like it's ringing true. Too early to tell if this is really cost inflation coming through or consumers having to pare back on different things. Uh, we'll continue to look as other companies report. Is that sort of fair?
1: Yeah, I- exactly. Like we're going to really be reading between the lines Right. From management, from companies to say, is there something bigger at play here that is going to cause us to start revising earnings down for companies? Because earnings has been the thing that has been really supporting um, equity markets.
0: Perfect. Um, you had referenced uh, COVID lockdowns in China uh, in relation to car demand uh, from BMW. Um, you know, I, I actually thought uh, COVID lockdown in China has supply chain problems for BMW. So maybe it hits both uh, both sides of, of their manufacturing. Uh, but I love your view on China in general. Really, uh, they've taken a uh, very... Um, uh, strict approach to, to trying to control COVID, um, they are uh, in many ways in a different part of the economic cycle than the rest of the world. Love to get your view on China as a whole and and how it works uh, when you're viewing it for investment opportunities and the like.
1: Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll take us back a few months to where we thought we would be with, with China uh-huh. and, and our outlook for China. Um, <clears throat> we thought that Chinese uh-huh. stimulus would actually translate into upside for Chinese growth this year. Um, sure. especially in the face of, and, and it's a relative uh, world we live in, um, but in the face of potential tightening by just about every major central bank in, in the world. And we felt that the Chinese government was taking some pressure off that economy experience last year um, where there was additional regulatory reform in the property and technology sectors, for example. So I think where we were wrong on this fact was that um, really the, the level of resolve towards their zero COVID policy. And I've asked many people, people who live locally in China, um, people who uh, focus on uh, economics and strategy, you know, how, do, how does the government back away from that policy, from the zero COVID policy? And the reality is no one has a good answer. And the reason is if if you look at Hong Kong, by contrast, once you stop trying to control every case, so you come off of the zero covid policy, you totally lose control and covid will spread like wildfire in the population which has a very low immunity from lower vaccination rates and not and or natural immunity um you know that we're experiencing here in North America because we've had so many cases in our population. So that can be a really frightening um, backdrop for a population that has become so accustomed to having very low case counts. Like I'm sure you're starting to feel this. Well, I, I shouldn't assume this, but we're almost getting desensitized to uh, COVID case numbers. Um, sure. Like how, how many times do you check, you know on a daily basis or what the COVID cases are in, in Canada or anywhere else around the world?
0: it, it needs to come up as a push notification for me anymore. Like I, it's uh, it's not top of mind at all.
1: Exactly. Like I used to check that data on a daily basis, particularly in Ontario, where we live. So now I sort of forget and a few days go by and I say, Oh, I wonder, wonder what the cases are like now. And, and so, you know, we have become very desensitized, but that is not the case in, in China. Um, so I think that, uh, this is impacting consumption overall in China and the lockdowns are obviously severe. Uh, Manufacturing output is also impacted and the Chinese yuan has really fallen uh, quite substantially and especially over the last couple of days. Um, and, And the worry is that the support policies that are put in place aren't enough. And I'm talking about the fiscal and monetary support to offset the weakness from the COVID policies. So just, just to give you a, a sense of magnitude, with Shanghai basically locked down since the end of March, that represents um, around 10% of Chinese auto production. And China also represents about 12% of global trade. So this is extremely relevant when you think about the outlook for global demand, for global uh, growth. Um, Supply chain, when you're thinking about the impact on supply chain that we've experienced over the last two years and the hope that we would start to come off of the tightness in supply chain, uh, we're actually moving in the opposite direction that we would like to be right now. Um, The other thing I would point to is what we're experiencing uh, more recently in response to what's happening in in China. So I talked about the lockdowns in Shanghai. Now it sounds like there's a lot of fear that that's moving to Beijing, another city with more than 20 million people. Um, Chinese equities the other day uh, were down 5% in, in one day. So People are getting very worried about the outlook for China and the inability of the government to support the target 5.5% economic growth that they expect. And because it's such a large population and a large factor in global growth, um, that brings the whole expectation of growth in the global economy uh, down.
0: Great. Um, Just a follow up question on that. Uh, This year is an important year for Xi Jinping, uh, where uh, the Communist Party is meeting later in the year. It's widely expected that she will uh, take an unprecedented third term as uh, uh, the top post of the the Communist Party. How motivated do you think he is going to be as far as uh, stimulus coming from, from on the fiscal side, monetary side? Uh, in order to try to hit that five and a half percent GDP growth, despite the fact that you have, uh, and to your point, like Shanghai and, and Beijing is a population in Canada uh, that is entirely locked down uh, and being such a, a headwind.
1: I think you, I think where you were going with that is exactly the right place, which is very motivated. Um, it seemed like a leading question, but um, yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think very motivated because um, when you think about like people are very supportive in China of the policies, uh, zero COVID policies, because right. they feel protected. And they know that the healthcare system cannot sustain um, the types of tens of and hundreds of thousands of cases that would come from a population of 1.4 billion. So so right. I think that in general, people are supportive of the policies, um, but there's only so much on, you know, to offset that on the fiscal and monetary side to maintain economic growth that a government can do. And we're going to live through that here, too, in North America, with our central bankers trying to orchestrate a soft landing. In, in their case, um, they're really trying to stimulate more growth in the face of lockdown. So, I mean, you have to imagine this is North America in March, April 2020, And that so so while she is extremely motivated to support with policy, which is, as I said, how we started the year thinking the outlook for China would be um, the zero covid policy is going to be very difficult to offset with any type of policy measures.
0: Perfect. Um, maybe we can move on to talk a little bit about uh, maybe commodities, um, and uh, particularly as they relate to inflation, um, commodities have been a um, on an upward trajectory. This uh, was accelerated by the Russian-Ukraine war, but it was certainly evident before that war as well. Um, I guess question to you, just in general, um, do you think that we're entering sort of another longer term commodity super, super cycle?
1: So I like to look at the commodity complex or the outlook for the commodity complex by kind of three metrics. It's almost like you have to picture a triangle and this is sort of about each corner. So the first is the supply side. The second is demand, so the obvious ones. And the third being availability of capital. And I think that you can't look at each of those things in isolation. They're obviously interconnected. But let's start with supply. So we've experienced almost a decade of underinvestment across the commodity complex. And this has obviously led to a deterioration in supply. And then we had the pandemic, um, which also impacted any type of production and supply as we went through lockdowns around the world. And uh, more recently the uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which took out supply from major producers of energy and agricultural commodities. So, To answer your question on the supply side, that corner of the triangle, the supply picture is setting up very nicely for a super cycle. So let's turn to the availability of capital. Um, The focus on climate and ESG has really deprived companies that operate in the extractive spaces from capital. And companies are also not being rewarded for reinvesting their capital. So the best use had been the return of capital. So you started Mm -hmm. to see more energy companies, more um, materials companies, increasing their dividends, returning capital to shareholders, buying back stock. And financial organizations like the banks are also starting to divert capital away or have pressure to divert capital away from resource companies. And we've seen uh, pension plans divesting of these types of companies. So when there's not capital being put in the industry, that impacts the long-term outlook for uh, supply. So those are those are both positive factors in favor of a super cycle. Because without capital, you can't grow supply. But then let's turn to demand, and of course, you know the world needs to eat, and as populations increase in developed markets, uh, demand for energy and goods also increases. So there is sort of an undercurrent of with increased development, there's increased demand for commodities right. in, in general. Sure. Um, and, and demand was also amplified by, as I said, the period of time uh, in COVID lockdowns where people were not consuming at the same rate. They were not traveling on airplanes. They um, There was not the same level of manufacturing production due to lockdowns right. and there were supply chain disruptions, et cetera. So coming out of the pandemic, there was pent up demand. But Demand can also be impacted by other factors, such as, you know, we started to talk about Netflix being a service that we consume. It's it's not a good, but people moving towards consuming goods to consuming services, which has really started to happen as economies opened up and people felt more comfortable mm-hmm. interacting with other people. So it becomes a share of wallet issue. You have sort of a fixed wallet. You start allocating more towards service away from goods. Um, And then the last piece is the economic outlook, which is probably the most important. Um, If our outlook for the economy shifts lower, you're less likely to consume. And this is where our central bankers are trying very hard to impact demand. It's really the only thing they can impact with monetary policy. They can't obviously impact uh, supply. So they're working to try and temper inflation and create a soft landing and frankly reduce uh, demand. So. I think a commodity super cycle being a sustained period of rising demand, um, typically the, the commodity sector is cyclical, so it will move with the business cycle. And I'm afraid that although commodities in general will have a higher base in pricing due to stickier costs to produce, given the supply and availability of capital um, factors I mentioned, um, I think that that the sustainability of that demand is called into question by the economic uh, backdrop. The other thing I would say is, or the last point I would make is that th- the last commodity super cycle was in the 2000s and it was fueled by Chinese demand as China went through right. an organization build, which we're not going to see a repeat of again. And sure. other commodity super cycles came from you know, industrialization eras and the reconstruction of Europe after World War II. So it is notable that Ukraine will go through a significant rebuild post the current war, but I'm not sure that that's enough to sustain a commodity super cycle. I actually think the most likely scenario is a commodity super cycle in some subsectors of the commodity complex, things like lithium or cobalt, which are used for EV batteries, for example. So to talk about a commodity super cycle, about the whole complex, I think Unlikely, but there will definitely be pockets of commodities that will go through a super cycle.
0: That uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, One thing that you hinted at when you were talking about the triangle of demand, uh, supply and capital uh, was the impact of economic uh, outlook and and the overall economic environment. Um, I'd say over the last month or month and a half, there certainly has been a rise of recession fears. Uh, and I think in one camp, you have uh, geopolitical uncertainty with uh, Russia, Ukraine, you have sort of these commodity prices spiking up, you have the zero COVID, all the bad stuff that we've talked about so far uh, in the podcast. Well, on the other hand, you have a consumer that, was, that came out of the pandemic and entered this year in very good shape uh, as far as excess savings go. Um, you have employment numbers that are um, extremely, uh, extremely good. Um, and then, just to throw another thing on the the negative side, you have obviously this hiking cycle in the rest of the world outside of China uh, from central banks. What's your view on recession fears? How do you think of these tensions, and, and where do you think we're ultimately going?
1: Yeah, so I, th- I think you hit on all the important points. You've got sort of pushes and pulls that are leading us toward and away from potential recession. Um, I think I'll sort of start with the punchline, which is it's not our expectation that we're going to head into a recession uh, this year, um, we do believe that because of what you talked about, um, strong labor markets, um, right. healthy consumer balance sheets, that we are most likely to see a slowdown and that economic slowdown will be um, mostly due to, uh, first of all, what we're seeing in the the impact of the uh, conflict between Russia and Ukraine and the impact that that will have in Europe in, in particular, so I think Europe's going to experience a recession, I just think that mm. I, I don't see that translating into a North American recession at this point in time. I would say the caveat to to all of that um, will be to see what happens in China, and as I said, we're going through these rolling lockdowns. Um, I've heard it described as more of a dynamic zero COVID policy in <laughs> China, so you know, maybe that speaks to your comment, um, about she's motivation to ensure that, um, the population experiences a nice growth backdrop and everybody feels optimistic about the future. And so, you know, with, under that backdrop, I think we would sort of skate through, um, as I said, to that soft landing scenario, as right. opposed to a full on, uh, global recession. Um, you know, we don't have a crystal ball. Uh, we think that inflation, while at very high levels today, is probably peaking around these levels and will start to come down. I think higher interest rates, um, particularly higher policy rates, um, will definitely uh, engineer the soft landing that um, certainly our central banker and the Federal Reserve would, would like to see for both economies, as I mentioned, targeting um, demand. Um, we will need to see more people coming back into the workforce. Our unemployment levels are extremely low. So we need right. greater participation. There's still a segment of the population that hasn't come back into the workforce that exited during COVID. So right. I think that that could help us skate through this period of time of very tight uh, labor. So I think there's there are things that can work in favor to stave off uh, a recession.
0: Great. Um, I think that's everything, Wesley. This was a really delightful conversation. We covered a lot of ground. Thank you so much for spending the time with me.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I feel like we talked around the globe, which was great, and we did cover a lot of area, so thank you.
0: Great, look forward to having you back. I'll be back